0: Testing, one, two, three. Check, check, check. Pop, pop. It's a little high. It's a little hot. Okay. Can you count to five again for me, Lois?
1: Count to five? Sure. One, two, three, four, five. Got it.
0: All right. Okay, so we're looking good. Uh, let's see. What am I going to say right now? Which radio station do I want to say I'm from? <laughs> Here we go. Well, good morning, and welcome to the Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, KSLM AM and FM. I am your host, and I'm so glad that you joined us this morning. Today's Terry Saul Show is being brought to you by the Lule Group, Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, and Teresa Lule, State Farm Insurance. Today's special guest is Lois Anderson from the Oregon Right to Life. Good morning. How are you?
1: Good morning. I'm great. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, well, we're glad to have you here. We're going to talk about Oregon's Right to Life. And I told you earlier, I know nothing about this, so I'm hoping you are going to educate me, okay?
1: That's great. Well, that's one of our, our main goals is to educate people, so I'd love to do that this morning. Oregon Right to Life is Oregon's largest, oldest, and only comprehensive right-to-life organization, pro-life organization. And we advocate to restore legal protection for human beings that are endangered from abortion, infanticide, physician-assisted um, a, a physician assisted suicide. That's a mouthful for Monday morning. And um, also uh, certain kinds of unethical research that use things like... Um, uh, baby parts, which, uh, we can talk about a little bit later. Uh, it's actually oh, a wonderful organization. Mad, you? <laughs> I might, I might. There's uh, there's some anger involved sometimes in our job, but for the most part, it's very joyful because, um, we promote life and there's nothing more wonderful than life.
0: You got that right. What is your background?
1: Well, I actually got started sort of as a political activist in college. Um, I'm going to age myself here, but um, Ronald Reagan was running for re-election, and uh, I loved Ronald Reagan. You know what's sad?
0: (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) so I made you myself okay, too I yeah. remember that
1: it was a wonderful time my grandmother um, was very politically active and sort of taught me taught me the ropes and um, over time I realized that the pro-life cause and the plight of the unborn was where I needed to focus my time so I've been at Oregon right to life for almost 23 years really? most of that time was spent um, running our political operations okay. and then um, I'm in my fifth year as executive director, and it's an incredible honor to be serving in
0: that role. So tell me, walk me through your daily activities, okay? On a Monday, what do you do when you get there? Scratch your head thinking nothing like a Monday to ruin a weekend? (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, no, usually we're pretty excited to get started um, on the week. Uh, We have a staff of um, 12 that uh, some work in the office, some work remotely. And so we have a series of meetings where we talk about what we're doing for the week. We check in the news for sure to see what's been uh, going on nationally and in Oregon, if there's anything related to um, the Pro life issues, and uh, then we we go to work. And a lot of what we do is education. We're providing materials. We're um, doing social media. You're posts. providing
0: materials for for who?
1: Yeah, so for pro life advocates around the state. Okay. Uh, it might be digital materials that they're sharing. Uh, right now, we're doing letters to the editor campaign about this uh, important Supreme Court court case that's coming up. Um, And so we're talking to our incredible volunteers that are spread out all over Oregon who are working on a daily basis to um, protect life.
0: Who, who do you answer to? Is there anybody that you answer to? Or
1: Yeah, we have an incredible board of directors okay. um, that is all volunteer, and they meet quarterly. They're from all corners of the state. Some of them have been doing this work for all 50 years of Oregon Right to Life's uh, life. Um, we started in 1970, and some of them are brand new to the movement. We have some uh, younger adults on our board that have just joined that we're really excited about. Well, so I, I answer to them.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, do you I'm assuming that on this is such an, an important uh subject, you're obviously gonna have the people on the other side that say, you know what, why don't you just get a real job and quit you know, doing this stuff? Um is is that going on?
1: Um, sure. You know, we don't get as much opposition as one might think. Um, I I think we've sort of gotten to the point with the abortion issue and even physician assisted suicide. Some of those end of life issues where um, we we speak out um, on the issues and share information, educate people about them, advocate for policies. It might be a vote or something else than that. Other than that, and it's there's not a lot of direct action opposition, um, that happens. It does happen periodically, but, um, uh, I was just listening to a podcast about the different decades of the movement. Um, and definitely during like the eighties, there was a lot of direct action that happened. Um, but, but now like a lot of things that we do, uh, uh as just Americans and human beings these days, um, there's just a lot that happens um, online and in churches and at homes and um, not a lot of action on the streets.
0: So when, when someone calls you that says, you know, and I disagree with you on this and this and this, um, are, are you going answer to the, answer the call? Or are you going to just ignore them and say, you know what, that's our... Right. Deal with it? Or, I mean, how do, you, how do you operate with that? We
1: love to talk to people who disagree with us. Um, and, in fact, that's one of the... If you the... listen to
0: my radio show, you'll hear that all the time. <laughs> okay. They're always disagreeing with me.
1: Yeah. So, um, one of the things that we that we do, and I guess thinking about it on a daily basis it doesn't necessarily happen on a daily basis. But one of the things that um, we do as an organization is we do a lot of um, booths at fairs and festivals. We have a pro-life display and we have materials. And um, we do a lot of training with our volunteers to help them engage in dialogue with people that disagree with them. And that's one of the most important things um, that we can do in person-to-person type of dialogue mm-hmm. rather than sort of like this standing off against each other that's not what we're really interested in we're interested in, in speaking to people um, and helping them understand what actually is going on in our state and in our country when it comes to the unborn child
0: what what is the uh, and we're gonna we're gonna get into this a little bit here about the the doctor assisted suicide uh, for the end of your life mm-hmm. Um I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, it's kind of a touchy subject, isn't it?
1: It is. It is very touchy. And um, believe it or not, uh, well, and it's very personal. It's very nuanced.
0: Uh, maybe that's what the reason is, is because yeah. it's such a personal thing. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure, like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know.
1: So well, one of the... Oh, go Can, ahead. I, I
0: want to ask you a question yeah. if I could. Um, because I don't know this. Mm-hmm. The doctor assisted suicide. Okay. Explain how that works. What's the procedure uh, on how that actually works? Do I go to my doctor and say, "You know what? I'm done mm-hmm. and I want to wrap it up here. Give me a pill. Is that how it works, or is it?
1: Well, uh it's very interesting. That's how it's portrayed, right? That you okay. have a you are um in Oregon, the law states that if the doctor says you're within six months of of passing away, okay, you can request doctor assisted suicide and they give you a prescription now um and then they now there's no longer even a waiting period you can take that prescription right away it's death okay, on demand
0: okay stop right there because yeah. this is got me a little bit confused my doctor is going to say okay fine i'm going to help you end your life take this pill is that basically what it is
1: yeah well it's not exactly a pill but it, it, it because you're poisoning yourself. So there's not okay. there okay. there's the medication the 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 lethal medication can take a lot of different forms and. An, Actually, that's one of the things that's very concerning about assisted suicide is basically doctors are experimenting on vulnerable people really? who are sick. Um, there's There's liquid, there's multiple overdoses of barbiturates. but so over time, um, some of those medications have been harder to access. And so they basically experiment and come up with different medical concoctions, different concoctions that will that will end somebody's life. Uh, the, is is, is the, it
0: painful? Is it a painful way to it?
1: can be. Yeah, it can be. And the physician is not Well, this doesn't sound like anything not, that we'd want to do. N- no, it's not. Um, you know, one of the things that we've talked about uh, a lot is that we all die, right? Sure, we're, we're sure. We're all going to die. Right. Um, death is a part of your life. It's a natural— Uh, It's it's a a natural process. And that natural process should be respected. And we're not talking about plugging people into lots of machines and keeping them alive artificially. That's not what this is about. This is an active killing of someone who says that they're sick. And our... Our approach is that what you should offer them is compassion and listening and appropriate medical care and love and the opportunity to be around their family instead of saying, oh, yep, you're done. Here's here's poison. Go, go kill yourself. Now,
0: is this legal in our state? It
1: is legal. Yes. Why? Yeah. The people passed it. The people really? voted for it, and I think that people voted for it because they were told this was a way for individuals who were experiencing a lot of pain and discomfort, and no, uh, in their and in, in the end of their life, and that this would solve that issue. No one wants to see their loved ones in intractable pain and illness. Right, right. Some some illnesses are very ugly, and they're very difficult to go through, and um, it's it's a natural thing for us to want to ease the pain of. Our loved ones. But there are ways to ease the pain of our loved ones and to help them in their dying process that don't involve actively killing them.
0: So the doctor that does this has to go home and lay their head on a pillow at night. Then they have to get up the next morning and look in the mirror. Um, Not every doctor would be willing to do something like this, would they?
1: That's very true. And that's why they have organizations that basically... Uh, network with the few physicians that are willing to do it. And it's, it's usually not, um, your family doctor or the doctor that you, that, um, the person has been going through their treatment with. Um, it, on a lot of cases, it's just another doctor that's willing to write the prescription.
0: See, uh, and, and you just said something that I think uh, my family doctor is, is, is a fairly young gal. And, I mean, we love her to pieces, and I, and I irritate her every time I go in there, and she's <laughs> like to strangle me sometimes. But I just can't see her doing something like this. I can't see her. If I went to her and said, you know, doctor, I, I, help me out here, I just can't see her doing that.
1: Well, you know, I don't know your doctor. One of the things— You're lucky.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm sure. It, maybe she's great. That she One of the things that we have seen is that there has been— There has been an influence of this being this practice being legal on the medical community, and um, it hasn't necessarily been a good influence, and so we're um we're very concerned with the treatment of especially vulnerable populations like people that are have disabilities who have mental incapacity like alzheimers or dementia that our our goal as a society needs to be to protect them and um to give them the best life that is is theirs to have rather than targeting them for for death through this process you
0: can't if if you have um alzheimers or or, or cancer advanced cancer or something where you, you know what the future is going to bring can you or can somebody as a family member go to these doctors and say you know it's time to wrap up my husband uh, he just he's suffering blah 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 could you help us with that
1: um technically according to the law, no um, it has to be the individual person that requests it but we have seen cases of coercion by family members which is another whole issue thanks for bringing that up <laughs> really? but it's a, it is another another whole issue a problem and issue with this
0: process. is a lot of that go on
1: um you know it's hard to know because the reporting is not exactly transparent sure, sure. Um, but we have had a couple of of um cases that have come out there's a group of physicians who are wonderful uh, they're called uh, physicians for compassionate care okay. and um, they try to document as much of this kind of um when these things happen as much as possible
0: because I, I I have an ex-wife that would probably want to give you guys a call, or give them a call and say hey you know what wrap this one up. But will the doctors will the doctors try to talk the patient out of it at all? Or they? I mean, you just can't walk in there and say I'm I'm done.
1: It really depends on the individual doctor, and uh, we have some wonderful physicians, and in, in that group who have incredible stories of patients who have come to them and asked for uh, the medication, and and they have actually talk to them and, and um, talk to them about what is it that they need? Why are they asking? And um, one woman in particular is is still alive almost 20 years later and was able to see her son uh, marry and have grandchildren. Nice. And if that doctor had not nice. approached it that way, she would have missed all those things.
0: Okay. We only have about 30 seconds left here in this, this segment, and then we're going to get into some other stuff here. Um Doctor-assisted suicide—that's legal in the state of Oregon. Yes, but it is. it's not legal everywhere, is it?
1: It is not legal everywhere. Um, I, there are—I didn't bring my stats with me today, but there are about six other states, and um, the the uh, District of Columbia where it's where it's legal either by legislation or by court decision.
0: Okay. We need to take a short break. When we come back, more with today's special guest. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on 104.3 FM and 1220 AM. We are KSLM. Today's show is being brought to you by the Lulay Group, Luley's Car Connection, Don Lulay Homes, and Teresa Lulay State Farm Insurance. We'll be back in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting warmed up. Okay, Phil, this is going to be segment number two, eight minutes. Okay. Here we go. What am I supposed to say? Wait a minute. Welcome back to the Terry Saw Weekend Show I'm talking with. Okay. And it's Lois Anderson, the executive director, right? Yes. Okay. Here we go. Welcome back to the Terry Saul Weekend Show. Today we are talking with Lois Anderson, who is the executive director of Oregon's Right to Life. Where are you guys located?
1: Uh we're actually located locally in Kaiser.
0: Okay. All right. Is it is it someplace that we don't like telling the address, or do we are we okay with that or?
1: Uh sure, we can tell the address. It's on River Road in Kaiser, forty three thirty five.
0: Got it. Okay. Oh, I know right where that's at there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, You mentioned earlier in our first segment there's something about the uh, Dobbs and Jackson Supreme Court case. Um, Why is that so important and what's that all about?
1: Well, on December first, the Supreme Court is going to hear. The United States Supreme Court is going to hear oral arguments, and the case is Dobbs uh, versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization. So it's out a case out of Mississippi. Okay. And what's uh, important about it is the um, Mississippi passed a law that um, limits abortions after fifteen weeks gestation. Okay. And um, they the the case was immediately you know the bill was immediately challenged worked it worked its through worked its way through the federal courts um, and challenged to the Supreme Court and there were several questions that the court could have have taken well of course they can always say no they don't have to take a case right. and then there were there were a lot of questions that they could have said they were going to consider about this law and the one that they picked are, uh, was about pre-viability bans on abortion, and what that's does that the, mean? Well, basically, right now the law, um, the case law, because of Roe v. Wade, Doe v. Bolton, which were which were decided in 1973, and then Casey versus Planned Parenthood, which was decided in 1992. Uh, nationally, the s- states can pass laws um, that don't have. A undue burden, which was not which was not um, uh, defined very well by uh, the Casey decision, but it's there nonetheless, and um, can't be. Uh, they have to be post viability. So viability basically means that the baby's developed enough that um, they can survive outside the womb if they're if they're born. One of the issues with that is that viability in 1992, viability in 1973 is different from viability in 2021. There is a baby that uh, has survived. He was born just uh, after 20 weeks. Uh, that's very, very early. And so it's not it's not a standard that makes sense legally because it's moving around. I mean, this is the pro-life position. And so um, Miss in Mississippi, they've passed lots of pro-life laws that complied with Casey. Um, this one they knew did not. And they knew that it, it would be challenged and could possibly make its way to the Supreme Court. So this is the first time that the Supreme Court has taken this kind of question since 1992. So for everybody that's interested in abortion law, um, we took that as a signal that they are going to make a big decision about what abortion law should be in the United States. What
0: do you what do you think that decision is going to be?
1: Well, um I I know you can uh,
0: never second guess a court. Yeah, you don't you know, don't... but what do you think?
1: <laughs> the court can do anything that sure. they want. Sure. Um and it can range from saying that the law is unconstitutional and remanding it back to f- to the circuit court or they could overturn Roe v. Wade. Um I tend to That's not
0: likely gonna happen though, is it?
1: Well they have the votes on the conceivably have the votes on the court to overturn it. Um, So I think it's probably going to be somewhere in the middle. Um, I do think that what what they're going to say is going to give us a brand new structure for how states can handle abortion law. That's one of the things that people... Um, don't necessarily remember about Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton is that basically it was a huge federal power grab. There were states that were had different, had different laws about abortion. Oregon had legal abortion starting in 1969. Places like Texas, abortion wasn't legal. So it was just like medical, the medical licensing and medical care is regulated um, state by state. Abortion was as well. So, Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton basically said um, there's this right to abortion, and um, now the states, all these state laws that are passed are now invalid, and there's this federal right to abortion. And we've been moving our way around that ever since. And so, um, what the court says about this is. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of smart, very smart legal minds that have all kinds of ideas. But I think no matter what, uh, we're going to get um, a new structure for how states can handle abortion within, within their borders.
0: Can you refresh our listeners' memory to Roe v. Wade? What was that all about?
1: Um, well, basically... When did, that,
0: when, when did that all start up?
1: Uh, well, 1973 is when they handed down the the decision, okay. and it was a case out of Texas. Okay. Um, and the there was a woman named Jane. Well, her name wasn't Jane Rowe. Her name was actually Norva McCorvey, Okay. And um, she had sought an abortion and could not get an abortion. She actually had her baby. She never had an abortion. Um, she she had her baby. The baby was uh was uh, given up for adoption. I'm pretty sure that's that's right. Um, But anyway, the the decision was that, um, as I as I outlined before, was that there the Texas law was invalid, that there was a right to abortion in the Constitution somewhere where they found it, and um, that that meant that states could no longer regulate abortion in the way that they had been. So okay. even in like even in Oregon, we had these regulations where you um, it had to be in a hospital and you had to have a second opinion of a doctor. All of that went away. Really? And basically, and basically said uh, it's abortion is legal and states um, cannot regulate it in any significant. way. In the state way. of
0: Oregon, where are abortions performed?
1: Um, well, are they
0: in doctors' offices? Are they in hospitals? Are they? Anywhere,
1: most abortions are performed um, in abortion facilities like Planned Parenthood facilities or other freestanding abortion f-
0: facilities. Is is that Planned Parenthood gets picketed quite a bit? Is that is that why? Is it because of they perform abortions there?
1: Um. Yes. Yes. Yes, so pro, there are pro-life um, advocates who uh, stand outside of abortion um, clinics praying and also okay. offering resources to women, um, giving them an option. All
0: right, and basically making life miserable for anybody that crosses into the parking lot and stuff?
1: Um, no, they don't make life miserable for people.
0: Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> We're going to take a, a short break. Uh, don't come back. We've got a lot more to talk about today. Today's show is, of course, being brought to you by our friends over at the Lulee Group, Lule's Car Connection, Don Lulee Homes, and Teresa Luley State Farm Insurance. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Terry Saul Weekend Show on 104.3 FM and 1220 AM. We are KSLM, and we are so glad that you joined us. Back in a minute. I cut that a little bit short, but <laughs> we'll make it happen. Okay, Phil, this is segment number three, 12 minutes. And what am I supposed to say on this one? We are back. This is the Terry Saw Weekend Show. So, yeah, I'm your host. Okay, I can do that. Five, oh, here we go. Segment three. We are back. This is the Terry Saw Weekend Show, Salem's original radio station, KSLM AM and I. Stop, <laughs> Phil, stop, 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 stop. One of these days I'll learn how to talk. Been (laughs) in radio since 1975. You'd think I'd know how to talk. (laughs) All right, let's try it again. Segment number three. We are back. This is the Terry Saul Weekend Show on Salem's original radio station KSLM AM and FM. I am your host, and today we're talking with Lois Anderson. She is the executive director of the Oregon Right to Life. We were just talking a little bit about uh, a pregnancy. Let's get into this some more. The pregnancy care movement, what is that all about?
1: Well, we talked a little bit about the folks that stand outside of Planned Parenthoods and abortion facilities mm-hmm. who, who pray, and they're there to offer resources and options for women. And that really is the fundamental core of pregnancy care centers, which is a um, – another part of the pro-life movement at Oregon Right to Life. We support them. Um, We, we, Help them in any way that we can, but they are a separate or separate organizations, and their goal is um, to provide actual care for women as they're pregnant. So they have ultrasound machines, they do pregnancy tests, they have um, things like formula and diapers and uh, anything that a woman would need as she's um, getting ready for her child to be born. And it came out of just seeing how women. After abortion was made legal, it's kind of like the attitude um, seemed to be a little bit like, "Well, you're on your own. You know, if you're going to have a baby, well, that's your choice now." And rather than being coming around her and supporting her, and that's what uh, it's the kind pregnancy of harsh, care. Isn't it? Yeah, it is harsh. But we're talking about also the fact that we um, people that are saying that are also advocating that an unborn child does not have any right to life. An unborn child that whose heart has been beating since six weeks, who can hear and recognize the voice of their their mother, who, uh, you know, they're so fully developed uh, at a very early age. So it's not a hard leap to also not be super caring about the mother either. And so uh, seeing that, um, the pro-life movement really came together and started forming these uh, uh, organizations. And they really started out as sort of mom and pop uh, ways to bring support. And now we have full-blown medical clinics where uh, they can also have some referrals to prenatal care and just really be cared for and loved as, as and supported. It's many times what we find out from women who are seeking abortions is that they really do feel unsupported it's not a matter of seeking to end the life of their child because they want to go out on friday night um
0: but but i'm sorry to interrupt you yeah sure but by ending the life of their child you're ending the life of a human being yes um whereas if you decide that you want to go out on friday nights and you don't want to be bothered by a child there are other options you can put that baby up for adoption yeah and and don't have to worry about going out on friday nights anymore you're done is that is that correct
1: yes there are many many options and i think that sort of the the stereotype uh which can can there's a lot of stereotypes in this movement for sure there's stereotypes of pro-lifers and there's stereotypes of women that seek abortions and there's stereotypes of people that promote abortion i think backing away from those stereotypes and thinking about the individual person and their individual time making a decision is very important and one of the uh also, one of the resources that pregnancy care centers will provide is just really talking through all of her options. And adoption certainly is an option, um, but it's not—it's not the only—it's not the only one. There's there's lots of uh, community resources for women that. Find themselves in these situations where they don't feel supported uh, when they're when they're pregnant, either financially or um, certainly our ec- economic situation right now is pretty unsettled. Um, but there are a lot of people that want to help in many different kinds of ways.
0: I have a a friend of mine that uh, years ago put her daughter up for adoption, mm-hmm. and one day we talked about it. And I says, how do you feel about that? And she says, I feel okay because that was the best thing I can do for my daughter right now. I, I've been in touch with her. I've been in touch with her adopted parents. And they're giving her the best life she could have asked for. Yeah.
1: yeah. So
0: just because you're putting someone up for adoption doesn't have to put a black mark against you.
1: Oh no, absolutely not. I mean, I think in fact it's one of the most loving and sacrificial uh, things that someone can do because uh, your connection to your child. I have four children, been pregnant four times, and um, you know your natural connection to your child is is very very strong. And making yeah. a decision to uh, to have your child adopted is is can be very traumatic. And actually, that's another thing that that pregnancy centers can also. Uh, help with because there's a lot of trauma in all of these decisions, including whether it's adoption or women that go ahead and have abortions. They need to have uh, the opportunity to heal from that from that um, experience.
0: And that was that was my question, Lois. Is that if you do have somebody that does have the abortion, there? Um, you don't just walk out of that center and say, okay, let's go get a pizza and celebrate, whatever it is. I mean, there's going to be some psychological issues. Is there not?
1: There are. There's been a lot of studies, and there are some women that for them— you know, it's a relief, and they do they do um, process it in in a different in a different way. But over time, some for some women immediately, and for some over time, uh, there is trauma involved with that that can really impact. Um, their relationships, their future children. I worked with a woman for several years. She's since um, moved to Washington, and she is the director of Human Life Washington, which is their pro-life state organization. And um, she had an abortion when she was 19 years old um, and just really put all of the memories of it aside, uh, except she would have anxiety or even sometimes panic attacks when um, she was vacuuming. And when she went through her abortion healing, she realized that it was the her memory um, of the sound of the abortion um, technology that they use. They use a, a very powerful suction um, to do uh, first trimester abortions. And so th- she. that's just one story of many that I've heard of, of what women go through. One of the things that's really important for people to understand is that women are not fully informed when they walk into an abortion center. Why is that? Um,
2: they're,
1: they're, they're... Well... Not they're, doing their homework? They're not they're either not doing their homework or the medical community, you know, the, the, the doctor, the abortion provider is not doing their job and purposely suppressing information. Just for instance, Planned Parenthood, they do, they do ultrasounds to determine the, the how the development of the child so that they know what abortion procedure that they need to do. They will not show um, the ultrasound to the woman. Um, and there's, there's just is, a lot is, of disinformation that goes that on. Is that
0: because they're afraid they may change their mind?
1: Well, you know, I don't, I don't know the mind of uh, Planned Parenthood's professionals, but their business model is based on selling abortions. And we, there are many um, ex Planned Parenthood employees that uh, that testify to that. Um, that is their business model. That's how they. That's how they make their money. Um, Do you
0: remember before you sat down, and we turned on the microphone? I said, you're going to piss me off at some point. Yeah. <laughs> you just did. Yeah. <laughs> that's, wow. Uh, that's- yeah.
1: And, and so it is in their interest. Um, they don't. They don't want women to walk out the door and change their
0: minds. Okay. Some of these other facilities that you were talking about, there. Um, do they actually deliver children in those facilities?
1: Um, in the pregnancy centers yeah, or right, the yeah. no, they don't. Um, they they provide um, sort of the initial initial care for women, and then they refer them to uh, physicians who will help them with with delivery. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things about this whole issue that when I first got involved, insurance was a was a really big deal, and I know medical costs or insur- insurance are still um, still an issue for people, but with um, what we used to call Obamacare, um, uh, actually insurance coverage for prenatal care and for, um, for delivery is, is not as much of a huge monetary issue for women as it used to be. It's still an expense, but that's kind of an interesting aspect of this is that it's almost easier to, um, to get prenatal care and delivery care for women now than it, than it really ever has been
0: do you Do you think that people that have abortion women that have abortions um ever go through a serious guilt afterwards, like you know what, what the hell did I just do?
1: Oh yeah, oh yes, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why, um, why post-abortion counseling and if you are someone that believes in God, Bible study are so, so important um, because there is a, a lot of post—there are even some women that suffer from post-traumatic um, really? syndrome for yeah, yeah uh, from the experiences that they go and, through. And
0: your body goes through a, a pretty rough change, too, when that happens, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a violent act. Right. I mean, that's the bottom line is abortion. Abortion is a violent act. It's, it's not a natural thing um, for, for women. Um, we're not talking about a miscarriage. Uh, sometimes people bring that up. This is not a miscarriage. This is a, a living, active baby whose life has been ended violently. And there's a lot of ramifications for that for the women and, and for the people around them. Like what? Um, well, just like what we've been talking about with um, uh, the behaviors and uh-huh. with the psychological trauma, and sometimes there are physical um, uh, ramifications as well. Women can be injured in the process. Uh, these, uh, even though we talk about abortion, uh, the society likes to talk a lot about abortion being safe it's not safe. It's never safe for the baby, and there's a lot of risks involved um, depending on the procedure for the woman.
0: Okay. And again, it's the same thing I said earlier. It's, It's the doctor laying his head down at night and and getting up the next morning, looking in the mirror,
1: human uh, beings are have a remarkable capacity to uh, to compartmentalize what they do, and I think it's really important for us to continue to have compassion for even for the the doctors who are doing this work. We need to help them get out of it.
0: Okay, we need to take a short break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about the uh, recent national election results. Let's kind of switch gears a little bit here. You're listening to the uh, Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, 104.3 FM, 1220 AM. Our guest is Lois Anderson from the Oregon Right to Life. We'll be back in just a minute with our final segment. In just one moment, stick around. if I turn on the microphone, it works better that way. Okay, Phil, this is uh, segment four. Last segment, nine minutes, 50 seconds. Okay. Here we go. We are back with our final few minutes. Today's guest has been Lois Anderson from the Oregon Right to Life. And uh, how how are you supported?
1: We are supported all by... Our wonderful donors, really? individual donations. 100%, for 100% donation? individual donations. Okay. If yeah.
0: someone would like to make a donation, what's the best way to do it?
1: Well, through our website. Okay. And that's ORTL.org. It's very easy to donate through the website. Okay. And also, you can call our office, 503 463 8563, and we can take donations over the phone.
0: All right. Let's talk about the, uh, the recent national elections results. You ready to get into that? Yeah, we had
1: some <laughs> some exciting things happen in Virginia, and I'm sure that people, uh, if they're following it, they have heard A lot of the news about Glenn Youngkin winning in Virginia and and how that was a big deal because um, President Biden won Virginia just two years ago. Uh, What they may not know is that abortion politics were uh, a big issue, and in particular, yeah. So Terry McAuliffe, um, we haven't talked about the Texas heartbeat law, um, and uh, but. Terry McAuliffe uh, brought this up um, and really tried to hammer, spent a lot of money hammering Yunkin about his position on, um, on life and the Texas heartbeat law, and it was extreme. He even campaigned outside of an abortion facility, and they really thought that this was their silver bullet. This was the way that they were going to attract women voters. And it just backfired on them. And Glenn Youngkin was just steady as you go, talked about his position. He's pro-life candidate. Um, and he just uh, kept that position did not waver on it and I have some statistics here in the CNN exit poll so we know that's not going to skew our way right? Um, and <laughs> they said...
0: Obviously you've listened to this radio show uh, before. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so um, 8% of, and remember how close how close it ended up being. Um, it was like b- 3 or 4% so the, the election was close so every little thing counted. So 8% of the Virginia voters who participated in this exit poll said abortion was their top issue. Of these voters, they voted for Yunkin over McAuliffe by a margin of 17%. Wow! So the people, the voters for whom abortion was their major issue, they voted for the pro-life candidate, not the pro-choice candidate. And so I think that that's a real message for us leading into the 2022 elections, which Oregon has um, a brand new congressional district. And um, through our redistricting, uh, we have now um, Senate uh, Congressional District 5 is more competitive. So we have a real opportunity in Oregon, um, and we're going to be fighting as much as we can in 2022 to uh, get pro-life candidates on the ballot and to get pro-life voters out and is, help them get elected. Is there a
0: chance that you're going to have some, some candidates that are pro-life?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, we have wonderful pro-life candidates in Oregon. Um, and, in fact, this last time every single um, – legislator, Republican legislator who won their election was either recommended or endorsed by Oregon Right to Life PAC. So we've been working very hard over a long period of time, um, to get to this place, but we, we do a lot of hard work to support our pro-life candidates. But I think the overall, just the overall, uh, takeaway from this national election is that, um, We need to we need to not be afraid of talking about protecting the unborn um, when we are in our elections. It's actually an issue that that people flock to. And uh, for those that are really that abortion is an an important issue to them. there are primarily pro-life in Virginia, and in Oregon it might not be a 17% margin, but we've seen over time that that's also true in Oregon, that more people uh, consider themselves to be pro-life that vote on that issue versus pro-choice.
0: What about nationwide? Um, is there more people pro-life than than? against it?
1: Well, we're certainly, it depends on what poll you look at, right? And it sure. depends on how the questions how the questions look. What I think is remarkable is that it's remained very stable. You think about all of the time and effort and money and, and discussions that we've had over the years where abortion is settled, it's just settled law, and you just need to, you know, the pro-life movement needs to stop talking about it. But Americans really have remained fairly um, split over the issue, and still, really searching and wanting to know more about the issue, and so I think that that's what's a remarkable thing about a, a major Supreme Court decision that uh, really has not ended the issue at all. It's it's only continued it.
0: Right. You said something earlier a couple of times. You referred to it, and, and I don't. I've never heard of it. What is the Texas heartbeat law? What yeah, is
1: that? So Texas passed a law. Um, Last fall, I think, or um, that bans abortion when a heartbeat can be detected, which Would is you at sit about That's six, six weeks. weeks. Yeah, okay. which okay. is at about six weeks, and um, there have been heartbeat laws passed around the country, and all of them have been struck down by the courts. The reason why this one is still in um, is st- is still law and still functioning in Texas is because they created this very um, different. Uh, 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 Enforcement mechanism where basically it's all civil. The state doesn't have any ability to enforce the law. It's enforced through a civil process that in each someone county? can bring. That be well, county or
0: is that statewide? It's
1: statewide, and so someone can bring a case and say this: this doctor is doing abortions after after the heartbeat can be detected. It's very controversial. It's very well, cutting it sounds edge. Sounds like it, yeah. Um, and the Texas folks, you know, they're frustrated because in Texas, what's This law passed in a bipartisan manner. Um, And so it was it is supported by the people of Texas and they continue to pass pro-life laws. And and I think they were frustrated and came up with this sort of very um, interesting and, and unique enforcement mechanism. The Supreme Court may actually be handing down a written opinion about that this week, really? because they heard they heard arguments about the enforcement mechanism in particular, and something called standing, um, and whether or not the people that were bringing the case had standing to challenge the law. So it it it's an interesting um, legal wrangling. But mm-hmm. the most important thing is that in Texas, for nearly 90 days, um, the abort abortions um, when the baby. Heartbeat is detected, have not been happening, and their abortion Go rates gone Go down by about fifty percent.
0: What is what is the the latest in a pregnancy that you can have an abortion? Is there any
1: in Oregon? There's no limit.
0: So just prior to childbirth, you can have yes. an abortion.
1: Yes, we have no it's we have no protective legislation for for unborn children in in Oregon. Why? And we do know we do know that late term abortions happen. Why is that the case? Well, we haven't. We haven't been able to have a legislature and a governor that would pass and sign um, a limitation. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why we work so hard on the PAC side and and why um, we ask people to give us their PAC tax credit. Um, Oregon has this amazing uh, tax credit that you can give to a political action committee. And we turn around and utilize those dollars to help elect pro-life individuals.
0: All right. Lois, uh, I have a thousand more questions that I could ask you. Would you uh, would you consider coming back, and let's do this again?
1: Sure, anytime.
0: Okay. Um, how do people get in touch with you if they wanted to donate? Uh, you gave your phone number earlier, but can you repeat it again?
1: Uh, phone number is 503-463-8563. Website is just ORTL.org. If you Google Oregon Right to Life, you'll find us. Okay. Um, and you can email us as well at just ORTL at ORTL.org.
0: Well, you sure made that easy, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. righty, Lois, again, thank you for coming in. Lois Anderson, who is the executive director of the Oregon Right to Life. And uh, we'll be back and do some more. Thank you, Lois.
1: Thank you.